Welcome to Twig225 GDC Recap. We got Laura, Toronto, no T Toronto. We have uh, Phil. Hi. Uh, ugly beard. <laughs> ugly beard. <laughs> and, and Ethan. Oh my God. Ethan is too short, Levy. Holy short. moly, you're short. <laughs> Oh my god! I couldn't believe it. I walk up to you, dude. You're like you're like at my like yeah. my belly button, yeah. dude. Come yeah, on. The man. Levies are not a basketball playing group. All right, we are basically going to go through the recap of GDC, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, I have to admit, all in all, it was a very, 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 very good event. Uh, I think Deconstructor Fund represented uh, both with the Sunday event as well as the um, the event with Exola, which was the game night with Mattel which everyone did a great job of putting that together, and it was absolutely massive. And I think Ethan is going to talk about that, but we were all there, which was cool. Um, one of these things about this show and shows in general and why I love E3 is it, it is very humbling to some degree, right? In the sense that the business is huge. There's tons of people, right? And it's it's just awesome to see all these people coming together um, that uh, that that are part of this industry. And then the other part is that Going to this GDC conference for me in particular is like looking around and seeing everyone that knows a shit ton more about the business than I do in terms of what really matters is making games. Right? So it's like, yeah, I know the business side, but it is very humbling to watch all these game developers who know a lot more about me, uh, about gaming than me in this particular area. So, uh, but anyway, I think, um, you know, that's part of the reason I love going to these events. You know, it's, it's a, it's a testimony to how big the industry is and also how, uh, far we have come since the early days when I started in 98. Um, but I have to do a public service announcement here. Uh, for the sake of all things holy, please stop wearing vests. I fucking <laughs> hate vests. And I meant to say this after the uh, event in Istanbul, right? It's like these VCs, consultants, investment bankers with these cheese dick vests, you know, with their little company logo, you know. And, and it was the Areem guys who I absolutely love. I think Areem is an amazing organization, but all of them were wearing their frilly ass vests, right? Looking all like proper and clean. And it just, and as much as I love you guys, stop it. It was a little gross. All right. Get rid of the vests. To, to use. Fundamentally. <laughs> to use the, to use uh, some, some young slang. Uh, everybody needs to improve their drip. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. No, I, I, I just think vests are just pretty much douchey, pure and simple, right? <laughs> it makes you look like a banker. You know, look at me. I'm a VC, you know? No, you're just a douche. Stop wearing them, right? And and I, what's the worst part about it is my one of my favorite guys, Jason Chapman, who I interviewed on this thing, is like, I had a five-minute conversation about why vests are so awesome, right? Because they keep you warm but allow to move your arms or something. He's in like Boulder. That. I want that. He legitimately yeah. could go hiking that, at any moment. No, if you no. Fuck it, dude. If you're playing golf, maybe. But I want those five minutes back when I had this discussion. So everyone out there who's a VC, investment banker, or douchey consultant, go out to your closet, grab your fucking, all your vests, put it outside, get some lighter fluid, and burn them to ashes. Thank you very much. Oh. That is my the end of my public service announcement. Jason. All right. Eric Kress is calling out your drip in public. <laughs> Now they're going to all send me fucking vests. That's what they should do. Oh, that would be hilarious. Out of curiosity, yeah. sorry, just to just to specify, is it all vests or just company logo vests? Company logo vests. Okay, Please. so but unbranded but, is okay. 
Unbranded's fine if you want to be it. I still think they look stupid, but um, but but just the branded, like look at me type vests. This is this is what the fan the the twiggies come for. Hot men's fashion <laughs> criticism. <laughs> I just I just don't want think I just don't want them to think they're fooling anybody, right? They're just it's all about look at me type thing when they put those things on. But go ahead. All right. How about you, Laura? What was your uh, high level thoughts well, as I've uh the vest didn't bother me so much, I have to say. I do agree with, with Jason. I find that they are very comfortable and very warm, but they also keep your arms free for like movement and like it's the right level of temperature anyway. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, so a couple couple takeaways. Um, this is the first time I've been to GDC in 10 years. The last time I went was either 2012 or 2013. Honestly, and, and compared to other conferences, it just felt so vibrant and packed. I had to Google the estimated attendance um, and Google said it was about 24,000 people, roughly double of what it was last year. I got to be honest, I felt like it was, it felt bigger than that, given how crowded the neighboring restaurants were, the bars, the coffee shops, hotel lobbies were on another level. It was impossible I, to get seating or even hear the person yeah, across I, the table. I'm never you. going to the St. Regis lobby again in my life. That place <laughs> gave me a panic attack. The second I stepped into it. And then a little bit echoing what Eric said, like I walking around the expo floor and it, it reminded me of how, how important our industry is where I, I went down a rabbit hole yesterday, Googling the total revenue of kind of different entertainment industries, because we are the second biggest from my research, Google research. And we're bigger than movies and music combined. And despite that, I still feel like, and maybe this is, this is more just a feeling that, we don't have the same almost level of respect sometimes as some of the other, uh, some of our partner entertainment industries. And I find that, I find that always a little bit weird because if you, the expo floor was not just game developer, game developers, it was also people doing audio, people setting up new, new types of graphic, graphic engines. It's just so much, it's so much more and so much bigger than just games. And it is, it, again, it was, it, it was humbling uh, just kind of walking around. Um, what made me excited, uh, we had a conversation. I unfortunately didn't get to go to as many talks as I would have hoped, but I heard about web 2.5 that, that made me excited about blockchain because it seems to bridge. It's the bridge between payments and people like me who don't want to set up a crypto wallet. Um, and if they can find a way to make that work, I think it can become super interesting for games. I feel like that's, that's like, that's kind of the missing link right now for how do you get Laura, casual Laura, you, to crypto you you are getting fucking duped you, you don't spend, listen to you, that you bullshit you talked to the wrong people they're at only GDC. doing 2.5 because 3.0 didn't work exactly but then they, like they took big bullshit hey they're looking at it they're looking they're like hey 3.30 isn't really working how do no, we maybe there's retreat. a step in between anyway i it's like a learning exercise if they can make it work, I'd be excited. Am I opening up my wallet for it? Probably not right now. But if they can, if they can find a way so that the casual audience that plays the match three puzzle games don't have to set up a crypto wallet and have another way to like have this have whatever you know kind of collection items they want in NFT format, great. I think that could be interesting. Um, my colleagues, again, I didn't go to many of the talks, but my colleagues came away loving the snap talk, uh, especially, I think it was the one on design where the, I think it was the mantra of, it was like, try it. And then it was, uh, correct. I, I might need help here for anyone that went to it or had the notes. It was like, build, try, iterate. 
Yeah, I I didn't I didn't go, but it is the talk that I heard the most about. I yeah. am positive it will be the number one ranked talk of GDC. Uh, unfortunately, not enough people went to my blockchain panel, so that could it was a contender. <laughs> no, it's not even going to be in the top fifty. Um, but yeah, that's 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 like the only talk people mentioned when Wait, I've asked what, about it. What what was it was from the Snap guy? From ben yeah, Road. there was two. It Brody. was the designer, I believe. Yeah. About what? Uh, about the, what? Like, the what? beauty of Marvel Snap and how the... it's carefully constructed. Oh, 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 Marvel Snap. I was thinking about like Snap the... Uh, the oh, the Snapchat. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah. Marvel Snap. Oh, you didn't hear? Snapchat instant games are the hot new thing. It was yeah, the I talk know. of the I town. Gonna, I was about... I was going to go ballistic in a minute, right? I thought that was what Web, Web 2.5 and Snapchat instant games. That's <laughs> all the most in-touch video game news of the week. <laughs> all right. And then a couple... Anything else, Miss Laura? Small things. I think I, I was trying to figure out... I feel like I made it my goal to figure out what was going to happen to Rovio. It's, I think it's pretty clear now it's not Playtica. And once you kind of narrow down who can afford them... <laughs> It's going back to the big names. So like Activision, Blizzard King, Scopely, Take-Two, EA, Embracer. Um, I'm, I'm keeping an ear to the ground. If anyone knows, let me know. I'm, I'm desperately curious. I, I actually, I could see Scopely doing it. Like I didn't, I actually met with one of them, but he obviously he didn't say anything, but I'm just saying that it makes strategic sense for them. I think Take-Two is just like, they're like, they're in like pain mode right now. I don't know if they're going to be making any acquisitions, although they just acquired that small little company, Rinky Dink Company. But I never, never take out Embracer. Embracer's imploding right now. All right, wait, we're not talking about this stuff. All right, we'll talk about that next week. Embracer is absolutely getting annihilated out there as they're like indicating that they're going to have to renegotiate all their, all their deals with all oh, these companies. My. They're going to implode upon themselves. I mean, that is like a, a perpetual. Uh, never mind. All right, moving on. Sorry. I think that's it. Ethan, you want to go through your? Yeah, yeah. I um, It was both exhausting and life-affirming and life-giving week <laughs> at uh, in San Francisco. Um, I want to say the Exola game night was a smash success. Uh, I heard that it was the most popular event of GDC with over 2,000 developers registered to attend. We had over 500 people playing in, in one giant room with plenty of space, playing Uno, Blockus, Apples to Apples, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and more. Um, it was the most comfortable I felt at a networking event. Like s- Several of the places I went to were so loud and crowded that they gave me very serious anxiety when I was in them. And so being in like a spacious, well-lit, uh, well-lit room with no drunk people and with like a good volume it was um it was i was just amazed that people showed up and had a fun time and like i showed up late and because of a talk i was giving and like the room was packed and there was a massive line and like i think that it's exactly the the type of thing we need more of at at these conventions which are like chill safe comfortable laid back ways to meet our colleagues that isn't a, a frat house vibe uh, thank you so much to Exola and Mattel for putting that on. All, all we did was was tell people about it, um, but it was amazing. Um, I also want to thank everyone who came out to our Sunday night meetup at Standard Deviant. We packed a warehouse bar with listeners. Like they stayed uh, open an hour late. I was not expecting that many people to show up on Sunday night. Dude. Dude, the Israeli turnout was unbelievable. Like Playtika, Playrix, Playrix, uh, 
Plarium, and I think Moon Active was there as well. I don't know if Shay showed up, but man, dude, they love me. They either love me or hate to love me. You know, one of the two. Because they're like all over me, like about what you know, things that I'm saying, how mistakes I'm making. I don't know. I I think I think they like the 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 straightforwardness of my yeah. approach, perhaps. Kind of like a Hasselhoff uh, anyway, figure yeah, for Israel. <laughs> Dude, that's insulting. First of all, I'm not nearly as handsome. Phil meant to say but... like a more handsome Hasselhoff figure. Right, right, of course, <laughs> exactly. Better, better more hair. charismatic, better hair. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no one can I, have better hair. I, I, I think that we have found the next evolution of deconstructor fun. What we are best at is filling rooms at industry conferences, basically. <laughs> um, so if anybody wants to contact the deconstructor fun events team, which I guess is me now, uh, <laughs> we're up for it. But uh, in all honesty, thank you to all the listeners, all the Twiggies out there who said hello, came up and said mice nuts and gave me a fist bump at the events or after talks, it, it really made me feel like we're doing more than getting on a microphone once a, a week and kind of shouting at each other about uh, a very niche uh, part of the world. It, it made me feel connected uh, to you all, which was amazing. And it was just great to turn internet friends into real life friends. Like both, uh, it was the first time we all met as a group in, in person. Uh, Phil and I had a beer, it was great. I met a bunch of people who I slack with all the time. And it was just uh, amazing. This is, I honestly, I've never been part of like an internet community before. And uh, it was so, uh, so great. It doesn't, it doesn't replace real friends, Ethan. Right. You know? But if you so, have no, make some if you don't have any real friends, it's, it's a good substitute. It's like Splenda. It's like monk fruit, right? I've got, I've got all my, my uh, deconstructor fun friends out there. But uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, I, I had a wonderful week and I have to, uh, thank my wife for taking care of four children alone for a week. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, she did text me in the middle. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So I don't think there's a lot of conferences yeah, in my future. Your hall passes. Exactly. Over. Dude, no more events for you. Dude. Not till next year. Yeah, Istanbul 2024. Dude, next year in Israel, we're going, we're going to, we're going to, uh, Oh, the motherland. Uh, Tel Aviv. I can go get ah, falafel yeah. in, in the motherland. It'll be great. Yeah, we're making that happen November. That'd be amazing. Uh, maybe. I really want to check it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Philip. Um, maybe just one clarification for people that came up and talked to me. I don't I don't live in Hawaii. I was vacationing there. I had a really great time. I was there for a month. I live in Sweden and I'm American. So I just I wanted to I wanted to clarify. This is a very details. easy story to keep track of. <laughs> uh, How many passports beyond- do you have? Do you have multiple? They're they're growing by the day. Um, <laughs> look, this was my first GDC. I had an absolute blast. I would liken it to a high school reunion meets some sort of speed dating centered around TED Talks. <laughs> there was a lot of people who bought me coffee. Um, shout out to our corporate sponsors. It felt like grad school again. They fed me <laughs> every single day. Uh, you know, I, I selected my parties by by uh, how much money the sponsors had. That was a good strategy. Um, also, thank you to Crypto again for for having money uh, and sponsoring a lot of different things. Uh, I'm I'm happy to take the rebate on this. So I don't know. I had, I had a great time. I will say Eric Seifert is right though. San Francisco is suffering from where I had been. It is a place that is in desperate need of some TLC, and you could feel it when you were there. So I would love to see some opportunities for other cities yeah. to host, but it was still a blast. And you know, if you're... It, well, hold on, hold on. In San Francisco's defense, 
the fact that there were like double the amount of people there, it made the homeless population look a lot lower, right? <laughs> so it was like it was like I, it wasn't as bad as last year is what I'm trying right. to say because with 12,000 people, it looked like every other person was homeless, but with 24, we're good, right? We're good. We outnumbered them. Chris, do you but, live? Uh, yeah, it's it's a shithole. Do you live in the city yeah. proper, or are you in one of the suburbs? I, I do. I do live okay. in the southwest part Got of the it. city. Because yes. yeah, I I lived I, was, I lived in Noe and in, in Mission for like 12 years and. I mean, I, I, uh, not that I never saw a street fight and someone get a bloody nose before, just never at third and market. And, uh, <laughs> I did, did walk by a drug deal outside of a methadone clinic on the way to one I, of my parties. Yeah. I, I, it was, we all, we, yes, it was, it was, it is bad and it's getting, it seems to be getting a little bit better because more and more populations are coming downtown again and kind of pushing them out. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, really awful but anyway moving on <laughs> okay um my kind of updates from gdc obviously the biggest announcements were kind of the unreal editor for Fortnite, which we're going to talk about a little bit more um unity kind of teasing next gen ai tools but that's all pie in the sky bullshit frankly to me but i would love to get your thoughts on that uh counter-strike 2 was announced like the only product announcements not really a good event for product announcement, but Counter-Strike 2 was revealed. Um, and basically all the contacts that I have out there, whether it's Google, Apple, developers, the uh, UA market is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So everyone brace for impact. Uh, I, I have to now, well, next week I'll talk about it, but our, our, our partners in crime, uh, App Annie, released this absolutely nonsensical report about Q1 <laughs> this year that's saying... Q1 levels are 30% above last year. And I'm like, no, the oh, 2019, it's like, first of all, who gives a shit? Second of all, the market is suffering so bad. Downloads are at all time low. Revenue continues to decline year over year. Stop it with these like bullshit uh, press releases. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. Apps Flyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. 
Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. Also during GDC that was unrelated to GDC, we got an update from the UK Gaming Authority. Basically, they said that the acquisition will not harm competition in gaming consoles, which removes an absolutely massive obstacle for the deal. Um, basically, you know, new evidence that they that Microsoft was providing, which is all a bunch of bullshit, honestly, um, that uh, uh, they would, because of financial reasons, they would still have incentive to continue to make games available for PlayStation. But I guess what I'm trying to say, I've been saying this forever, is they don't give a shit about the money. They care about building up their platform, right? Um, so I do disagree with this fundamentally, um, but it is clear that this is on its way to getting approved. Um, the only issue that they have to get around right now is this cloud gaming issue, which I don't think is even an issue, right? I don't, I don't even know. Cloud gaming is nothing. So um, on a positive side, now actually, after talking to tons of people about this at the, at the show and, and others, is that this is actually good for customer, obviously consumers, obviously, as I've said before, but it's also actually potentially really good for Blizzard and Call of Duty folks, um, in at least in the short and medium term. You know, the damage to the industry is going to be kind of something that, that happens over like the next five to ten years. But I think Bobby and Armin coming back to run Activision Blizzard would not be a good thing for Activision and Blizzard, right? Um, I think we'd see some serious turnover from conversations that I've had if the deal fell through. Um, so in some sense, from a consumer perspective, this is a win-win-win, right? Um, you know, you get a better subscription service from Microsoft. You get, you know, Blizzard staying whole um, and, you know, more content coming from them. Uh, now, again, I've said many times, this is really, really, really bad for the long-term health of this industry. But uh, we'll be long, I'll be long retired before probably a lot of that stuff happens. Um, but you can read what I think about that on the piece that I wrote for T-Constructor of Fun. All right, Laura. So uh, we talked a lot about the positive uh, that came out of GDC. What surprised me, and I, I did want to bring this up, and, and it's not not great news, but there were, unfortunately, there were reports that there were there was drink spiking at multiple events um, and other predatory behavior that took place um, at the event last week. Uh, this was from GamesIndustry.biz. Um, it was a little bit hard to read um, after everything that's kind of that's happened with, you know, Me Too exposing the abuse in Hollywood, the numerous investigations and kind of writing of wrongs in gaming. It, it, I was surprised that this article, like I, that these things happened. Um, and I'm, I'm sad, like I'm sad that it is now the case. Um, I thought we I thought as kind of a whole, we had started to graduate from this type of conduct. And the more I thought about it this morning, I was thinking about what how I was going to what I was going to say around this. I just, I don't, for the people that are doing the spiking or that are participating in kind of predatory behavior, I can't imagine what is going through their heads to signify that this, that anything, that, 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 that any actions like that could be possibly a good idea. Um, and the, the other thing I was looking at was after the conference, I read an article that gave advice on the best way to tackle GDC. And I was thinking, ah, I'm curious to read this after the fact, wondering how much of their advice I would take or I would dispute. And one tip was to avoid go going to meetings in hotel rooms. And initially, I didn't quite understand why, because lots of business development people have dedicated rooms to have meetings. They're quiet, they're private. 
And as we discussed how crowded San Francisco was, it's almost necessary if you want to be able to hear the person you're speaking to. But after kind of seeing what 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 people went through at the conference, I, I now understand that it's still it's still it's what should be something that promotes business and promotes like a healthy work environment now is something that like women um, or, you know, actually anyone now need to be actually concerned. And it is, it is, and it's just, it was so sad to see this, uh, that this happened after what, you know, what felt like a very positive GDC experience. I don't know if anyone else has any takes. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. These stories, this isn't the industry or the world that I want to live in. And I don't think it's the world any of our listeners want to either. And it's, you know, honestly, a big part of the motivation of why we put together that Exola game night, because like, um, it's, you, you have to admit that being anywhere with strangers and alcohol is a risk. And if you're a business and you're inviting your employees, your partners, your prospective clients anywhere with alcohol in a business context, you are taking a risk because you never know what evil lurks inside of somebody. Um, And it's just, I mean, I'd like to live in a world where we never see a, a, a games industry story like this again. Me too. Okay. I thought it was worth worth calling out. Um, who's Absolutely. who's next? Um, all right, I'll uh, I want to bring one piece of Web three news <clears throat> that was uh, a big Web story. Web two point five. No, this is true. <laughs> Web three. Oh, this sorry. Is Web three. Apologies. Yeah, this is the real deal. This is oh, the real sorry. deal. Yeah, my, my mistake. Um, CCP Games raises forty million for a new AAA Web three game in the Eve universe. So CCP Games, makers of Eve, they raised forty million for a new venture. Andreessen Horowitz, makers, and many other um, familiar names to the audience. And uh, of all the Web three projects that I know of, this is the most natural fit, right? The CCP and Eve audience have basically been playing a massive economic simulation for over a decade. This is the audience that is primed and ready for this type of economics heavy game with real gains and losses. Um, A quote from the article, this financing will allow CCP games to build upon the discoveries of its research and development teams to enable the full-scale development of a new AAA title utilizing blockchain technology, uh, said CCP game CEO Hilmar Vigar Peterson. Um, the biggest risk I see is a market and execution risk. I think they have, they're the most likely to have product market fit. But if you look at the history of CCP, the efforts to expand Eve, things like Dust 514, Eve Second Genesis, Project Nova, it's it has been a struggle for them to expand Eve into different products um, and, and find success. So $40 million gives them a lot of time and resources to deliver and bring a AAA game to market. But the dual questions are like, will they will they succeed and bring something to the market? And what will be the market sentiment and appetite for Web3 games at the time that it hits uh, first playable? Yeah, I, I this is like the, uh, the best fit I've seen, right? It makes the most sense to me whether execution is going to be hard, but like a niche super core audience that loves this type of gameplay kind of fits well with the idea of um, owned assets and trading and all the other stuff. I think they're kind of used to it. Now, having said that, you know, maybe Web3 is 
even you know, blockchain is a little bit too much for even this audience. But I don't know yet, but they 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 seem to have the type of people that could actually make a game successful in this type of space. So it'll be interesting to see what they've had, what they come up with. There's a great book on this called Internet Spaceships Are Serious Business, which is a pretty <laughs> pretty big deep dive into the Eve community. And this is something I took a look at when I worked on a four X game. One of the primary things that comes out of reading that is just how they take the players of Eve Online. They take this as a job. That this is this is a job. They don't really see it as a game. I couldn't think of a better fit for Web three. I think it it just sounds like a bizarre product strategy. I don't see why you wouldn't just shard the existing Eve Online, duplicate it. What well, they actually might be doing that though. You know, you never know, right? I mean, if if they did, I think it would be an absolutely beautiful move. I mean, shard it, put it in its own world. You know how to deal with open marketplaces, but don't let it interfere with the mainline game and reduce product risk. Yeah. So I, I hope that's what they yeah. do. Makes sense. Um, all right, flipping uh, the script here. Roblox was at GDC. Um, I only mentioned this because they they treated me well. <laughs> they invited me to talk to them, so I'm going to give them a little bit of a shout out here. The only thing they really announced that I could find, and maybe I'm in- incorrect on this, is the uh, possible generative AI tools. Um, and the quote I get, and this is why I think it's kind of a funny. <laughs> this is like from Caraza, right? It, in an extreme example of a future use case, Caraza says, you could take a, say, scene with a forest, a river, and a rock, and it would automatically generate a 3D world matching <laughs> matching your description, okay? And, and and then he said afterwards, I'll say two years, well, until it's ready. So basically, this is all bullshit, right? This is all like kind of vaporware nonsense, but this is, this is the promise of AI-generated um, worlds and tools. But anyway, that's the only thing they'd announced that I could find, but... The point of this was that Samantha and Arena, who are two corporate PR people, which I generally don't ever talk to PR people because they're useless. Um, they they wanted to talk to me about the current state of the platform and the industry. They invited me. Um, I think fundamentally they were just tired of me talking shit about them on the podcast about Roblox in general. <laughs> so they wanted to get you know enlighten me on what what's going on over there. Um, but I, I want to say, in all sincerity, I was absolutely impressed with Samantha's knowledge, depth of knowledge about the company and all the things, all the terrible questions I asked, she had answers for, which was really impressive. Um, it doesn't at all change my impression or my, 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 my issues with their challenges around demographic and geographic expansion. But in, a, you know, in, in their defense, they put up some amazing numbers during holiday. So I've been a little bit wrong in terms of revenue performance. Um, but again, this is a, a really significantly affected profitability, right? They've had to spend a lot in order to grow revenue, um, and they're no longer profitable or cash flow positive. Um, and with Epic knocking on the door, I think, um, I think this further expansion is going to be really rough and tough, I think. Um, but they pulled out all the stops, right? Jonathan was there. The guy, I think Jonathan, I can't remember his name. He's from Super Social. He's like the super evangelist of, of the platform. Um, and then they brought out the guy who makes front lines, right? So this new uh, shooter that like is really high fidelity, you know, trying to compete with Call of Duty, et cetera, et cetera. This is like a 22-year-old kid from L.A. He shows up, um, a really nice kid, but he's he, he's working on uh, kind of a, a high fidelity shooter. Um, and it's getting a ton of hype on the platform. Even my kids knew about this. Uh, so anyway, thanks for Samantha and Irina for putting this stuff together. Um, I do appreciate it and uh, was impressed with uh, their presence how they presented themselves. Um, but we will see what happens going forward. 
The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle, and it helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales or go to the link in the podcast description below. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. But on to the headlines. Mr. Philip with uh, the epic launch of Unreal Editor, the big competitor for Roblox. Probably right? probably the biggest news coming out of GDC, in my opinion, was Epic announcing this Unreal Editor. And it's not just an editor that they announced. It's a whole set of ecosystem tools that they're calling Creator 2.0. So part of this is going to be Unreal Editor for Fortnite. So you're going to be able to use a slimmed down version of the Unreal Engine editor to create content in Fortnite. So you can already create content in Fortnite, but this is unlocking more of the native tools to be able to do so. And not only that, but there is a custom programming language that they're launching with it. So it's gonna have its own unique backend. They also have some really cool tools that allow you to edit in a co-op mode. So you can have someone who's playing on PlayStation. You could then have the editor in, uh, you know, sitting on PC and it will update in real time. So there's a lot of social features that are coming with this that I think are really exciting. And the other piece of this that was enormous was their announcement that 40% of Fortnite net revenue is going to be distributed back to UGC creators. They revealed that 40% of playtime on the platform is also already on UGC content rather than the mainline Fortnite Battle Royale mode. 
So some major announcements. Uh, Tim Sweeney was on the floor. I got to I got to hang out with him. I got to shake his hand. That was pretty cool. Uh, did you really? Yeah, I did. Oh, cool. He was he's floating around taking pictures. He's a very soft spoken individual. Actually, can we pause for a moment there? Like, this is a really big point that need to be made. Is that forty percent of the content that's already being consumed on the platform is UGC stuff. So this unlocks the ability for those current makers to actually generate money from from their content that's been out there for a while. So that's kind of a big deal. So they they start with the ground running, right? They're not starting from zero. So pr- is kind of the way it was described to me. Previously, you had Maybe. these creator codes. So when you made an in-app purchase, you could enter a particular code that was related to a creator who had made UGC content. And I think they would get, what, 5%. So this is a huge change in revenue. Right. Right. And so they haven't they also haven't revealed the formula that will distribute revenue. And, you know, of course, that question, what is net revenue? How is that calculated? You know, yeah, right, Ep- right. Epic is going to be the decider of all of that. But still, I think this is a huge announcement. This gets the flywheel going. Yeah. Ethan. Yeah. I mean, for me, this was the most exciting piece of news uh, I saw all week, uh, probably of the year. I'm uh, literally, after we record, going to buy a new PC so I can check out Unreal Editor for Fortnite for myself because it doesn't run on Mac yet. Um, and just on on the rev share, um, yes, it is, you know, the, the the lack of specifics makes it a little difficult, I think, in evaluating the business opportunity if you want to try and be... Um, uh, a professional level developer on uh, 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 within Fortnite, but um, what they've said so far uh, in is that uh, as a creator, you don't need to worry about. You're not trying to make in-app purchases inside your islands. That you are rewarded for. They want people to re-engage lapsed users into Fortnite, and they want to keep them engaged and retained, and that that's what the formula is going to weight and and from what i know that's kind of you know it's similar to um the apple arcade model um and as a developer who's focused a lot on on monetization over the years it's very exciting um to just to hear like just focus on fun focus on retaining people and you'll get rewarded um and that when you compare you know the as you said like all the content that's already being uh played 40 percent of playtime. Um, when you think about the scale of the Fortnite audience, um, this is a true competitor um, and potentially will overtake Roblox, right? I think it's already from the day of the announcement doing something that Core, Sandbox, Decentraland, and others have not yet achieved in terms of scale and traction. Um, so it's it's just it's uh, it's the most exciting thing to me coming out of the show other than uh, meet, meeting our, our beloved listeners. <laughs> yeah, I am very excited to see if this is successful. I have some lingering doubts that I've stated before, but whether these creators can gain enough attention on the platform versus, you know, the core um, apps, but also, you know, what the, what, what quality is going to be required to, uh, to attract the demographic. Right. Um, and, can they monetize this stuff successfully, right? Right now, they're just in the same ecosystem. So in theory, going forward, like, you know, they're going to basically build tools and technology to build standalone experiences with in-app purchases and monetization of their own. So um, I'm almost, I'm very confident they're going to get the engagement. Um, but but my real concern is whether there's some kind of zero-sum game where they get all the attention and, and other other 
uh, AAA games, you know, suffer, right? Um, but we'll have to see how the service is rolled out, what kind of content is available, who's making games, how they monetize. You know, I don't think the Roblox model works in this scenario. Now, I could be wrong, but like four guys in their basement uh, making, you know, games for Roblox. I don't know if that works here. I think it likely will have to be bigger teams, maybe. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, I think for me, just to counterpoint, part of the um, promise of Unreal is all the procedural generation tools that allow you to do more with less, the different libraries um, that uh, uh, both of things you have access to for free and that you can pay for in terms of textures and art assets. And then I I believe uh, I had a conversation with somebody about this day. I think that the new um, uh, coding language that they launched, the intention is that if if you do a client server game, you you essentially have to write all game logic twice. So and you're you're doubling your headcount, and the people who are able to do that type of work are very specialized and uh, expensive. And I, I think the intention of Verse is to allow you to write it once, uh, write it once client side and it works server side without yeah. needing to be rewritten. And that would be a massive efficiency gain for live service games. Right. And, it, and also my understanding is they're going to roll this together with the next Unreal 6, right? So that this, this is going to be the same exact tool set so that you can publish anywhere, right? Um, I have a question. Uh, thinking about, sorry, this, how much is there a, a parallel to way back in time when Battle.net allowed users to make different maps for the Warcraft 2? How similar is that to this, do you think? Well, let's see. I, <laughs> I, I, let's see, I, I, like, I, what has come out of these UGC games is like a new paradigm, right? So we got, we got um, you know, Defense of the Ancients. Um, you know, we've had CSGO be a spinoff. Um, like where has been that genre? I don't think we've seen it from these UGC games yet. And, and auto chess. No. And auto chess. Yep. Right. right. I like mean, three the, massive the, the, new genres, uh, spun out of Warcraft mods or well, Warcraft mods and, um, uh, half-life mods. So, but I guess this is my, 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 I don't want to say cynicism, but my skepticism, I suppose, uh, this is the big idea of user-generated content, right? I think Roblox was definitely the big idea, you know, with with eight-year-olds, right? So this is the idea for, you know, 18 to 44-year-old men, right, that buy games, right? So is it additive or is it cannibalized, right? Mm. That's the question that I'm going to have to answer, right? And 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 that's the questions I'll be, like, looking out for, right? And my gut is, just, just generally right now, is that this is going to attract a big, broad audience. question is... I think they're going to struggle to monetize. I think they're going to struggle to find revenue sources, uh, you know, effective revenue, uh, incremental I, revenue. I, I mean, from, I could from these experiences. I, I could put a spreadsheet together for you that would say that over a decade, using totally fake numbers, but like over twenty years, um, it will monetize through the creation of new un, by making Unreal the dominant. Um, development platform for all games that if you take generations of teens and 20 year olds who want to get into game development and they're learning uh, in Unreal um, when they go to build their professional products that don't exist in Fortnite um, yeah but okay I I, I mean that's a very long that's a very long view the the IP stuff will come I have to say this they only get like 
they only get five percent, right? It's like mice nuts for them. What what their real benefit is is to build a network, right? Of of games that play on their platform, right? They become a platform. That's what makes that's what's going to make them the most money, not mm. third party development on outside of their platform, right? But Got it. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, look, this is they're they're throwing their whole company at this thing, right? So this is it, right? This is this is what they want to be doing, and this is going to evolve and be something new I, and i and i don't want to say rip roblox but like i think in terms of like particularly in growing the demo like i don't think the opportunity is nearly as open as it was before now that that they're competing so i don't know we'll just see how it evolves it's very interesting um and very exciting i'd love to see this for their other titles as well like i'm sure that unreal editor for rocket league and unreal editor for fall guys is coming at some point i'd, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Right, right. Well, also they, I did. I don't think they announced anything, but the the Lego guys, they have team working on a Lego experience, which is completely independent of this whole thing, but using that, you know, using these tools. So um, that'll be part of the, you know, quote unquote platform. So yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, the other big announcement, which we again net, rarely see game announcements at GDC, just saying, uh, Counter Strike Two is official. Um, and it's coming for some people today, evidently. Uh, basically, they say, quote, unquote, overall to every system, every piece of content, every part of CS experience, um, the largest technical leap forward in Counter-Strike's history. Uh, the full game is supposed to be launching in, in September 23. Sorry, September, summer of 23. Um, and of course, it'll be free to play. They're just basically replacing existing CSGO. So the CS2 is based on the Valve Source 2 engine. So it's kind of an engine showcase i suppose upgrade upgrade update to smoke grenades was like the big big feature which is interesting <laughs> um and there's going to be like three kind of like tiers of upgrades to the maps which is obviously the most important part about csgo is the d- map design uh there's touchstone maps which basically just improves lighting um and the, and character read which i didn't really understand what that meant um, and then there's upgrade to maps which improves uh lighting and reflections and, and, and fidelity and then finally, the overhaul, they basically rebuild it with the entire new engine, better visuals, UI enhancements, and all kinds of other things. So, And obviously, they reworked the audio with the new engine. Um, and to be clear, all progress and weapons and skins and everything else from the initial CSGO carries over to this. So my take, you know, I think, obviously, it's great for Valve to reinvigorate the Counter-Strike uh, business, you know, which is their big one of their biggest businesses, with a long overdue graphics overhaul uh, of a game that's been around for a long time. Um, I think, in some ways, complete. And I, I would love to hear Phil's opinion on this, but uh, or, or Ethan, for that matter, completely replacing CS:GO is an interesting choice. Uh, you know, if the core contingent that love this game that continues to spend are in any way unhappy with the performance and how it plays. Uh, this could cause some problems for them in theory, but I, I'm, I'm hoping they'll test that out and, and figure that out uh, because in theory it should play different, right? With new graphics, sorry, new, mm. um, some of the new stuff that they're doing. And so the gameplay and how it feels is a big part of this game. As far as I understand it. Um, any, any thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, um, I had some, uh, some, there's there's one thing I'm going to push back on, which is the word reinvigorate, because just to uh, uh, I checked it this morning. Uh, CSGO posted its highest concurrence ever 
like last week or this three days ago, I think. You know, it's the top played game on Steam. It's got no, 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 but that was part because of the right. announcement. Yeah, right? no, no, and, it was. It's been trending upward for months. It's been unbelievable its success in the last last six months, really. Yeah. But um, to your point, I hadn't I hadn't given serious consideration to um, when I think about the audience for CS:GO. They are, I would assume, they're very um, sensitive to the game feel. Right. And yeah, and I hadn't right. thought about the risk of, um, well, what if I'm gaming in, in a relatively if if I'm in Poland on like a low to mid range rig and I and I've been playing CSGO for 15 years and I can't play this game, it doesn't feel the same anymore. Like it's not as responsive. That is going to be really meaningful for the audience. Um, right. But. I mean, the only comparison which is not quite the same is the StarCraft mm-hmm. II versus StarCraft Brood Wars, which was like a, absolutely a massive uh, South Korean like esport forever. I mean, they had like four different fucking tele- cable channels <laughs> like running this twenty four seven. Like it was nutty, right? And then they come out with StarCraft II, and 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 no one could be bothered, right? Mm-hmm. Because of all kinds of technical issues, like they didn't have land play. There was all kinds of things that went on, but part of it the the big part of it was the feel of the game was different, right? And and the way the game played was different and not quite the same. Yeah, they've done this before. They, they've they gone from 1.6 to CSGO. Like they've managed transitions and some people stayed behind, but I have no doubt Valve is going to get this right. right. I'm sure they'll spend time right. talking to their esport e- pros, validating every choice. I'm sure that, you know, this stupid little smoke thing is going to make waves in the community, but I'm sure they've they've talked to a million people about it. Yeah, I uh yeah, I think I mean I think the thing that that's worth noting is that it's not a different skew. It's an update and renaming as as far as I can tell, right? Like if you look at the FAQ it said things like uh one that Counter-Strike arrives as a free upgrade to CS:GO. So it's like the Witcher 3 next gen up, update, right? All your items transfer over. Accounts that have been banned on Steam are still banned. It's not a new game in the traditional sense. It's just a a mega-sized update with a name change that helps it make headlines and and grab people's attentions. And like, um, if you compare this to the Overwatch 1 premium with MTX to Overwatch 2 free-to-play transition, which has not been smoothed by anybody's measurement, like, it looks like we'll be looking at this as a masterclass of how to uh, treat your devoted audience and how to do a massive uh, update to kind of a live service game and keep it like, I would bet on this, not against this essentially. The, the big puzzle I keep having is as why this game keeps growing. This really challenges my conventions about why we expect games to grow, like sensitivity right. to content. Uh, I, I can't figure this one out. It's reaching all times high, all time highs. It's it's the same game. There's there's very little progression. Uh, no no one can seem to have a great answer for this. Have you have you tried um, just some some hypotheses to throw out? Have you graphed uh, like Twitch streaming uh, over time to concurrence? Like, is it just it gets more popular as it gets more popular because more people are talking about it? Um, we don't seem to have a causal reason. If there's a CSGO player out there that feels like there's been there's been something big that's that's grabbed their attention, like feel free to let us know. The best I can cook up is that maybe Valorant has softened the entry point for a game like this that's very hardcore. 
made it more approachable and maybe you upgrade to CSGO because we know that game isn't suffering either. The market just seems to have grown. But, you know, yeah. this thing continues by the to, way, to amaze. By the way, for those that are don't know what CSGO is, which may be a, a lion's share of our audience who are just mobile focused, <laughs> this is like as hardcore as a shooter can get, dude. Like this is like you get in there, you get your ass handed to you. Headshots you for days. Doing, right. Yeah, if you don't know where the map is and like how to like navigate it and like go look around corners and stuff, you're going to get shot through doors. You're going to get shot like everyone's going to destroy you. So that's why I call it such a core game. I mean, it's popular with this big group of core players that love this shit, particularly PC players. And this is a PC only, right? This is not even on console, right? So this is not a mass market game by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a very successful game with that super core contingent, right? Well, same with Valorant, same with Apex. You know, like Apex is not a massive game. It's just, it has a core contingent of people that love the game. I mean, I do. It's not, this is not Call of Duty. Right. Right. This is not those type of, that type of big audience that plays this game. So it's safe to say there's no story mode. (laughs) The the story (laughs) mode is Half-Life ended with Half-Life 2 episode (laughs) 2. Basically, there's no Care Bear mode for Mr. Crest. You know, this is this is like as core as as a shooter can get. I mean, I it's since I play pretty much all core games on easy mode because I play to relax and escape. And like, I'm kind of amazed at the size of the Elden Ring audience, the Souls like audience. And like the this is kind of another example of that where it used to be Arma 3 like was super incredibly niche and kind of like a a pretty small audience there's there's a lot of people out there who want these very difficult challenging hardcore experiences and i would think that streaming culture makes it easier to get into because you can like watch somebody and learn like i have no idea how to play csgo but unlike 15 years ago i could go watch 40 hours of people streaming and then maybe maybe not get headshotted right away but probably i will i'm not right so so i i philip is like shaking his head at me constantly which is (laughs) fine i'll accept that but the reason i call this niche fundamentally is not because it's a niche game from a revenue perspective like they generate significant amount of revenue every year right lots right What what why i call it niche is that it that audience likes this game if you try to create a csgo game with you know, Rainbow Six or something like that. It's not going to do shit, right? This is they, they have this market. It's I mean, it's a red I mean, that's ocean. What Val- that, that's it. what Valorant did, though. I mean, they they went after no, this market. No, no. So, th- so this is what I would argue. I would argue making a Valorant or or a Rainbow Six Siege or a um, uh, Apex. That's how you compete and against this is build your own audience that 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 likes that type of gameplay. But if you're trying to make a super tactical you know, uh, a squad like shooter, like it's going to be really hard, but you, you innovate around different themes and different modes and things like that. That's, that's how you, that's how you get see success, but you don't create CSGO. Yeah. I, I mean, you have a game thesis. I mean, I think Valorant had a strong game thesis though, which is that yeah. we're going to lower yeah. the entry point. They had some technical innovations mm-hmm. and they introduced characters. So yeah, like you need yeah. a game thesis. You just can't do more of yeah. the same shit. I know that's why. That, that, sorry, that's how I de- why I describe these things as niche is in the sense that, for that reason. Because if because if you don't, people are like oh well, shit, we should make a game like this because we can compete and get that audience. No, you can't. No, you can't. Right? You have to do something innovative and interesting and different to attract audiences outside of this stuff. But um, but anyway, 
it is an amazing game. It's an amazing experience. Um, and again, this does not make Valve a game developer, by the way. <laughs> just, just, just saying. They keep saying they have like dozens of projects in development, which is just I, don't, I just think is untrue. Please, um, Half Life Three, yeah. or I'll even yeah, take yeah, Half Life Two, Episode Three. Please, please give me a reason is, to revisit is, the classic. That is not happening. <laughs> All right, a very successful GDC. Um, thanks for everyone for showing up, um, and uh, we'll see you guys at the next event. I am. Uh, I I think I am completely abandoning e3 this year ubisoft just announced that they're not coming so i don't think i'm going to be at e3 which is really sad to say but we will have some other um, events for deconstructor fund and google um and some other partners uh later this year so hopefully we'll see everyone there all right guys until next week peace out you did it you made it to the end of the episode as a fan of the show it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice more importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.